Okay. Let's reel it in, folks. You guys are eating your donuts. Hopefully you have your Bibles. So we're going to open up to James, and we're going to read, just to kind of recap, and back up a little bit, because Steve has been teaching. Um, So we're going to start in chapter 2, verse 14, and we'll read through chapter 3, verse 12, just to kind of get a general feel of the text again. give you like 10 more seconds. Okay, cool. Uh, James chapter 2, verse 14. Let's start there. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, Be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And then we're in the next chapter, chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds. Thank you. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. 
It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So in preparation for today's text, as we are talking about tongues, I came with some tongue facts for you guys. So hopefully this will be good. Um, And my personal opinion on tongues is that they're just kind of weird. Um, So first fact is that there's eight different muscles that make up the human tongue. I thought it was just one big muscle, but apparently there's eight different muscles. Um, Your tongue has between 3,000 and 10,000 taste buds that are not visible to the human eye. This also changed my perspective because I thought that the taste buds were like the things that you could see. But those are just some sort of thing that like house the taste buds. So that's, that was weird to me. Um, yeah, 3,000 to 10,000 taste buds. And you can't even see them. Um, another thing that I did not know is that your tongue never stops working. And so even when you sleep, it's somehow, it's always doing something. I don't know what it is, but it didn't say. Um, another thing is that your tongue is the most flexible muscle in your entire body. Which is also crazy. Because there's some flexible people out there. Gymnasts. Do we have any gymnasts in here? I used to be. Dang, I didn't know that. That's cool. Gymnasts are built different. Um, Especially the tongues of gymnasts, apparently. They're even more flexible than most people. Uh, Anyways, your tongue print, which I didn't know was a thing, is as unique as your fingerprint. So every fingerprint is different. Same thing with your tongue, which is crazy. Uh, another thing is in Tibet, one way to show respect is to stick your tongue out. So the next time you guys stick your tongue out at your siblings and your parents get you in trouble, you could just say that you're trying to show respect. I'm just kidding. Uh, another thing is that a blue whale's tongue, guess, guess how much it can weigh. Just throw some stuff out there. 60 pounds? One ton? Several tons? Yeah. It can weigh three tons, just their tongue. Yeah. It's so that they can even open up their mouth wide enough that a whole other blue whale could swim in it. Which is insane. Yeah, it weighs, this, weighs the same as an elephant. Which is crazy. Um, and last couple ones, many people eat different kinds of tongues which is also weird. In tacos, cow tongue is a big one in Hispanic culture. Pigs is another one. Lambs and even ducks. People in China eat duck tongues. Mitchell's, I think, was telling me about some of that stuff. That's a great question. Who here, who's, who's eaten tongue before in here? I bit my own tongue. Biting your own tongue doesn't count. What have you eaten? What kind of tongue? Cow tongue? Same thing? some cow tongue eaters in here okay last last uh fact here before we keep going the ant eater's tongue guess how long that can be no 
That'd be crazy. Two feet. Be two feet long. Anteater. Yeah. So tongues are really interesting things. Um, going back to the human tongue, it's different from the tongues of animals. Uh, the main way it's different isn't because of the way that it looks or the texture of it or the size of it. Um, who can tell me the main way that the human tongue is different from animal tongues? Not texture, not size. Use it to speak. Use it to speak. Yeah, it can produce words. And these words can be words that build up or they can destroy. It can produce words that encourage and make someone feel good or it can make someone wish that they didn't even exist. It can communicate the most amazing truths of the gospel, the most amazing truths of God and his glory and what he's done in Christ. And it can also tell lies of a different Jesus and a different Christ and a different God. And as we'll see for this week and then next week, also going through it, tongues have great power. And so we'll be taking a look at that as a whole. And then we'll also be taking a look at our own tongues and how we've used them, whether we've used them to give or to take, whether we've used them to lie or to tell the truth, to praise or to curse. And we'll look to get them under control. And in so doing, the rest of our lives will be under control. Our verses for today, uh, verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3, are the first part of this long section that James writes on the theology of tongues. And you guys have heard about tongues before. Maybe you're thinking of the spiritual gift that showed up on Pentecost. That's not what we're going to be talking about. Um, But we're talking mainly about the way that we use our words. And how we use our words is one of the most important things about us. Our words betray some of the most inner thoughts and desires. And they show us and those around us the kind of person that we really are. They show us our heart. One commentator that I read said that in one strange way, when James is talking about the tongue, he's talking about us. What can be summed up in that word, tongue, is who we really are as people. It's our heart. And so in the passages leading up to this, um, as James was writing this and the people were hearing it, the hearers may have been left with the feeling that they were good. So just going back through it, you know, they're hearing this and they endure trials. They don't show partiality. They do good works. They're good people. But James, in writing this, he's about to take it up another notch. It's as if he says to his hearers, oh, so you've got good works. Let's see if you really do. Let's not just look at the physical things that you do, but the unseen words that you speak. And the words that we speak show us and those around us if our works are truly good or if our works are just a mask for who we really are on the inside. And Jesus shares the same idea in Matthew 12. You guys have probably heard it before. In Matthew 12, verse 33, he says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. 
For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And he says in verse 34 that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so another way to say this, what Jesus is saying is that who we are on the inside will come out in the things that we say. And so if you want to know the kind of person that you are and what the quality is of the works that you produce, we can't look any further than the words that come out of your mouth. And so let's look again at today's passage. We're going to read these verses again. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 3, read with me. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the wheel of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And so James starts this passage off with a direct address toward the men in the body that wanted to become teachers. And so the first thing that we're going to be looking at today is the tongue of teachers. And when he says teachers here in verse 1, he has in mind those that teach the word of God to the body, the church. And so this would include pastors, um, but that's not the only people that it would include. Henry, what's up? Good morning. Oh, you're good. We were talking about tongues. You missed it. You were talking about cow tongues. Have you ever eaten cow tongue? What? You never have? What? You've been around cows your whole life, and you've, you've been missing out. What about duck tongue? You know, I probably have. If you've ever been to a shitty Chinese restaurant, I probably have. Well, that's why I stay away from those. Uh, okay, so back to our first point, tongue of teachers. Uh, yeah, so when he says that teachers... When he's talking about teachers, um, he's not just talking about pastors. Um, it carries the same ideas like your Sunday school teachers, uh, grace group leaders, grace life teachers, um, things like that. So it's not just formal pastors in the pastoral role. Um, it expands a little bit more than that. Um, and an example of that is actually when you look back at the um, synagogues, you see Jesus stand up and he reads from the scroll. And Jesus wasn't one of the um, like leaders in the synagogue. He was one of the men that came, but he was allowed to read. So that's one example we see there. Um, and so going on, James doesn't shut down the idea of someone becoming a teacher like right away. He doesn't shut it down um, because he knows that biblical teachers are a good thing. But he does put up a stiff warning, and it's like a test. And so he's basically saying that if you want to become a teacher of God's word, that's great. But you need to examine some things in your life first. And so I don't know about you guys. Most of you have probably not considered what it would look like to formally teach God's word. But if you have, if you've desired it, or maybe you will in the future, um, there's some guidelines that are laid out. And it's a series of tests, if you will, that scripture has. Um, so scripture puts these forward for those that want to approach the word of God and to teach others. And some of the tests for an elder that you may already be familiar with is found in Titus chapter 1. And this isn't just for elders. This is for 
all Christians what they should aim to be. And in Titus chapter 1, verse 6, it says, If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a love of good, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And so just as these tests are laid out here for elders in Paul's letter to Titus, um, so James has a test here in his letter. And if you guys remember, as we talked about um, when James wrote this letter, it would have been one of the first ones written in the New Testament. Um, So this is one of the first tests that's ever written down on paper that's in the Bible. Um, And so the question could be asked, why does James care so much? Why does he care about who teaches? Why not just let anybody who wants to teach? Uh, Isn't somebody that wants to teach a good enough sign already, just the fact that they want to in the first place? Uh, But teaching the word of God isn't a light thing. Like we're dealing with the uh, word of God. And in addition to that, you're not just handling the word, but when somebody is teaching, they're also dealing with people's hearts, the hearers. And so God's word can be a blessed thing when it's taught rightly, but it can easily be manipulated and twisted and twisted to one's own desires and taught incorrectly. And there's a phrase that um, is said by a podcast that Brenda and I listen to. Um, And it kind of sums up what James is saying here, part of what he's saying here. And it's bad theology hurts people. And you could also say, in addition to bad theology hurts people, bad teachers hurt people. Or teachers that don't have control over their tongue hurt people. And they don't just hurt people, they dishonor God and in turn they incur judgment. And so James says here in verse one, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And so he's reminding these Christians that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. They're gonna be scrutinized more closely and everything they do will be judged stricter than the rest of the Christians. And the word here, judged, is one of two things. For the unbeliever, it's the great white throne um, it's talked about in Revelation 20, where unbelievers are judged by the works that they've done. And anyone whose name isn't written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. But for the believer, they don't undergo the, that judgment. It's actually a different judgment. Um, it's talked about in 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5.10, and it's called the judgment seat of Christ. And so this is where believers are rewarded for the things that they've done that glorified God And then the sinful things that they've done are burned up. And so after just talking about judgment, some of you may be thinking, if those who teach are going to be judged with greater strictness, then why do so many men in the church want to be teachers um, to the point that James has to tell them, tell some of them, no, that they can't teach. And so then one of the things to consider here is that the teaching position, both then and now, can be sought after wrongfully. People can want to do it for the wrong reasons. Some people can want to do it because they think it'll bring them honor and will make others look at them well. 
And they do it not just because they genuinely want to serve the people of God and the body and to minister to souls and glorify God, but because they want to be looked at a type of way. And so then that's one of the things that James definitely has as he's writing in mind as he's writing this letter. Um, and then he gives another ver- or, excuse me, he gives another reason here in verse two as to why not some of them should become teachers. And verse two a, if you look, it says, "For we all stumble in many ways." And so this is a pretty obvious statement. We all stumble in many ways. How many of us don't stumble in many ways? All of us, right? We all do. And James, when he says we, he's even including himself in that. So, um, and that's not just him. It's also the apostles. Even they weren't immune to stumbling in many ways. And so examples of that for the uh, adults in this room, the drivers. I don't think, do any of you guys drive? Not legally. Not legally. Henry, does it? Not legally. Farmers uh, permit. Uh <laughs> Sometimes when we're driving, we get annoyed of other drivers on the road. And there are times where you guys find yourselves angry with your classmates and you look down on other people. And sometimes we covet and we do things for the wrong reason. And with the aim, aim of what James is pointing to here, we can especially stumble in the way that we use our words. Not just the things that we do, but in the things that we say. And we see that in verse 2b. Um, if you look, it says James, or James writes, uh, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. And so it says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says. And sin, by means of words that are spoken, is actually the first sin that we see after the initial fall of man, which is pretty interesting. Um, after Adam and Eve have listened to the serpent, they've taken from the fruit of the tree that God said not to, God finds them in the garden and he confronts them about their sin. And what did they say in return? Tracking? God confronts them. They've sinned. God comes to them. And what's their response when he confronts them about their sin? Well, they did hide, but then once he meets them, finds them, and he's face to face, Yeah. Yep. They cast blame on everybody but themselves. And so we'll just read it super quick. Verse 12 of chapter three in in Genesis says, uh, the woman whom, whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And so right away after the fall of man, the first sin, um, is speaking wrongly with our words. And so since then, that sin has infected everything. We see it in us and we see it all around us. Our tongues, once only used for speaking good and praising God and expressing thanks, are now weaponized against God and against others. So often we find ourselves and those around us saying things that we know we shouldn't. We gossip and we slander. We make fun of people. We lie. We say hurtful things. We respond poorly when we're asked to do something. We whisper mean things because we don't want those around us to hear. And so this warning that James raises is telling those that want to be teachers, hold up, 
Examine yourself. In what ways do you stumble? Are you fit to be teaching the word of God? And so to put it in your guys' context, since you guys aren't trying to be teachers of God's word right now, uh, the questions that could be asked are, what do you talk about in the conversations you have with your friends? What jokes do you laugh at? What jokes do you make? What do you say about those who are different from you? What about those people that push your buttons and frustrate you? My mom used to tell me that my brother was a sand people, sand, not sand people, sand paper person to me, uh, which I don't know if it's the right way to view it, but my brother would always rub me the wrong way. And so I'd get angry at him and I would say things that I shouldn't. Um, and so there's plenty of other examples that we could go down the list and things that we stumble in, the, in what we say. Um, and so James is addressing those that shouldn't be teaching. And then on the flip side, in the rest of verse 2, he tells us here's what those that teach should look like. He says in verse 2, If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. And so when he says perfect there, um, it carries the same perfect, or same idea, excuse me, same idea as the perfect that's in chapter 1. Uh, which if you remember in chapter one, James is talking about enduring trials and the effect of that. And there he talks about how steadfastness has its full effect. And it says, making them perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And we've talked about this before. So maybe you remember uh, when it says perfect there in both chapter one and the perfect here in chapter three, it carries the idea of maturity. Uh, So rather than James wanting teachers to be people who have never sinned, which would make the candidates extremely slim because we all know that the only person who's never sinned is Christ. He wants teachers to be mature. And it's part of the same reason in Paul's uh, first letter to Timothy when Paul says to Timothy that elders shouldn't be new converts. So James here is looking for maturity, not absolute perfection. And so um, that's on the side of teachers. And so then in point two, We're going to look at the control of the tongue. So the first point, we're looking at the tongue of the teachers. Now we're going to move on to the broader context of the control of the tongue. And so in verse 2, just as we're going to read it again, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. And so here in this verse, we see the reality that the tongue, in a sense, controls the rest of our members. As some commentators pointed out, Uh, Sinning by way of the things you say is the easiest sin to commit. For example, there's some sins like adultery or murder that involve other people. In other words, if you're not even around other people, then you can't physically commit those sins. Uh, But since there's no such rules when it comes to the things we say, we can sin at any time, at any moment with our tongue. And James has already talked about it quite a bit in the rest of the letter before this. Um, He said it in chapter 1, to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And in verse 26 of chapter 1, he even says that if anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, that person's religion is worthless. 
And here we see that if someone makes a practice of not stumbling in what he says, then he's able to have control over the rest of his body. One commentator said that James is basically making the argument from the greater to the lesser. And so if someone has control over this area that, of life that's extremely difficult to control, then they obviously have control over the rest of their members. And so the rest of their life is under control. Where they let their feet take them, whether they do violence with their hands, what websites they go on, how to use their money, their whole life is under control. And you can also flip that around. If someone doesn't have control over their tongue, then you can pretty much expect the rest of their life to not be under control. And so looking on at the next verses, in verse 3 it says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. In verse 4, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And so here James uses a couple of pretty vivid examples, uh, and they're both pretty self-explanatory. In the first, we see the example of horses. How many of you guys have ridden a horse? Wow, that's surprising. More than I thought. I was always terrified when I was riding a horse. I always thought I was going to run off and never be able to stop. Um, and when you rode it, what equipment did you have? You can just shout it out. Saddle. Saddle, okay. What else? Bit. Bridle. Have you ever ridden a horse? Have you ever ridden it bareback? Has anybody ridden it bareback? Did you ever did you ever ride it without a bit and bridle? I got saddled. I rode a cow. I have. I just held on to the hair of the cow. Yeah. How well did that work for you? It was fine. It listened to you? Well, it's just a little pony, so it can't. Oh, okay. Okay. Well then we could replace that with a stallion and see how well that works. Just no bit, no bridle, just grabbing it by the hair, trying to ride it. It probably wouldn't work very well. Because you're pretty much at the mercy of the horse to take you wherever you want to go. Because you don't have control. And it's the same with the next example that James uses. Um, how many of you guys have steered a ship? Oh, steered a kayak. I've steered a, not a ship, but like a boat. Okay, like... <laughs> a little bit. Do what? Okay, so we probably haven't steered anything bigger than like a little pond ship right uh, speedboat speed yeah because yeah, when i'm thinking of a ship which maybe this is what james has in mind as well when i think of a ship i think of like the ships in pirates of the caribbean with the big sails and the big ship and it's in an ocean with giant waves and the wind is blowing it around but even in that this ship can still be steered with a small rudder underneath it changing the direction that it goes. And so James is making the point to show that these tiny devices, the bit that lays on top of the tongue in the horse's mouth, or the rudder underneath a ship controlling the way that it goes, um, both of those objects control a larger object, a much larger object. 
And in the very last statement here in verse 5, James says it's the same way with our tongues. We've got this piece of flesh in our mouth that's made up of eight different muscles, and it can do great things. Great as in the way of big things. It can curse, it can praise, it can complain, it can give thanks, it can encourage, it can bully, and it can determine whether a marriage is successful or whether it ends in two people just living together, or even worse, divorce. It can make peace, and it can also start wars that end in countless lives being lost. And so we have great potential with the things that we say. We can either be known for bringing life to the people around us with the words we use. Like Paul says, let your speech always be gracious. Or you can be known for how your words tear down everything around you. As Paul says of unbelievers, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And so guys, this is an area of your life that you need to nail down now. I wish that I had nailed it down when I was your age. And not just because your parents encourage you to say nice things, and not just because I'm saying so, but because the Bible makes it clear here that this will affect every area of your life. And if you've got a mouth that only ever seems to produce bad things, with complaining, anger, annoyance with your siblings, gossip, slander, lies, rebellion against authority, inappropriate joking, discontentment, only ever being able to talk about the people you know in a way that paints them in a negative way, then you need to look at your heart. Like going back to what Jesus said, how can you speak good when you are evil, as he says, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And so if you only ever seem to produce bad things with the words you talk about or words you say, then you may have an unchanged and unrepentant heart. And if that's the case, then the bad things that you say are just a symptom of the unrepentant, unchanged heart. But you don't have to stay there. And this is for all of us, the gospel, that Jesus came to earth and he set aside his heavenly glory and he took on flesh And he suffered through life on earth, and he never, ever used his words for evil. He only used his words to bring life and to give mercy and to call out sin in a gracious way. And he never spoke anything that was evil. And he had complete control over his tongue. And if you look at the rest of his life, he also had complete control over every action, not just his tongue. And with that, his substitutionary death and his resurrection uh, can turn the one who only ever destroys with his words to one who gives life. And so the gospel turns God-haters into God-lovers and sin-haters. And that's the answer, ultimately, for the people that James is talking to here that have an untamed tongue. And we'll especially see it next week when we go into the next set of verses that talk about the tongue being set on fire by hell and burning down everything around it. And so with the gospel and through that and through walking with Christ, God has a plan for those that submit. 
you can actually start speaking the truth in love, as Ephesians 4.15 4, 4, says. And Ephesians 4.29 says, only saying that which is good for building up, giving grace to the hearer. And Ephesians 5.4 says, you can start giving thanks to God for everything around you that he's given. And then with that, in getting control of your tongue, you can have control over the rest of your actions. So let's look to Christ today. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's go to him today and every day. And with that, let's use our words for good and not evil, for giving life and not taking it. So let's pray and let's go into small groups. We probably are going to get done a little bit early today, um, but hopefully we've got some good things to talk about with how we use our tongues, how we can do a better job of it, and how God redeems the tongue. God, thank you so much um, for a new day with beautiful weather and that we're all here in a church building gathered together as the body. God, thank you for texts like this that don't let us off the hook, uh, that we're not just encouraged to fix our actions but it goes much deeper than that from our tongue to our heart and our innermost desires and thoughts. God, I ask that you would convict us in the areas of life that we give ourselves a pass on. We often gossip and slander people and just think of it as part of life and how we talk about people, but it's not okay. And uh, thank you for calling us out on it in your word. I ask that um, you would show us our areas of sin and um, for those that are unbelievers in here, that they would see that um, the way they use their tongue for evil isn't uh, the main problem, but it's just a symptom of the heart and that they would turn to you. And for those that are Christians in here, I ask that you would um, use us to speak life uh, to those around us. Please help us in small groups to have productive conversations. Please help the middle schoolers to um, be responsive and to be able to share what's on their hearts. And please help us as small group leaders to ask good questions and to share also what's on our hearts. Thank you for Christ and how you've um, redeemed people and brought them into your body and changed them from God-haters to God-lovers. We thank you for all these things and we praise you. Ask them in Jesus' name. Amen.